You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Thanks very much. Uh, when I got to university, I was already a, a psychiatric car crash, and I uh, spent a lot of time trying to keep it together and needed a lot of help, but I didn't get a lot of help. My mates spent most of their time laughing at me. The academics were very good at piss-ups in breweries, but not very good at knowing what went on. And the, the people who probably provided the best TLC to help me keep going were actually the college porters. Now, these chaps were all relatively uneducated, working class guys who were either old enough to be my father or old enough to be my grandfather. Uh, they uh, had to work night shifts, which involved staying up till two in the morning just to check the college didn't disintegrate. So they knew what was going on rather better than anyone else. And they could tell from the start that I was struggling severely. So despite the fact we didn't have much in common, apart from the fact we both operated in the same college, all the porters sort of looked out for me. And if I needed a chat late at night, either drunk or sober, uh, they would be happy to uh, chat with me and sort of give me a bit of a boost. One of the porters, his name was Gwyn Humphreys, although he always answered to Taff, he, he was more than just a friendly porter. He was probably my best mate in Cambridge. Uh, we uh, found we had something in common when I first arrived in that uh, he'd served his national service in the Air Force and had been based at RAF Watton until 1959. And in 1961, my parents moved on to the base at Watton alongside me, aged naught. So we, we nearly overlapped. And that gave us an in to a friendship. And then that friendship was solidified one night when he complained to me that he had a, a cold and a headache and wasn't expecting to get much sleep that night. So I uh, hurried off, found some aspirin, ordered a double scotch from the, the bar and handed them over and said, you'll get some sleep with that. And, and he did, so we were best mates after then. Now... At the time, I wasn't a heavy beer drinker, and I used to have half of blackcurrant cordial and lemonade and a sizable brandy chaser. And if, if, if Taff was on at the evening, I would show him the lemonade, say, just blackcurrant, Mr. Humphreys, hiding the, the brandy behind me. He knew it was there. It was a long-running joke, kept us very happy. Now, I often went to join Taff uh, in the pub on a Saturday lunchtime for a couple of pints. Now, that would usually spell disaster for me, you know, headlong collapse into pissness by tea time and absolute disgraceful behaviour afterwards. But Taff was my mate, and I felt safe with him. And after a couple of pints, he would go home, 
and I would go home and I would sober up and things would be nice. That was much better. I've got two particular vivid memories of him. One was uh, on a night, 23rd of December. I can't remember which year, but uh, on the 23rd of December, everyone had pissed off. And there were only a couple of academics in our college. Uh, the whole place was covered in gloom and doom. I went into the porter's lodge just to say goodnight to Taff, and he said that there was a, a film on telly coming up that evening that was supposed to be really good, and uh, if I fancied it, he would lock up the college early and we could go and watch the film together in the uh, student common room. So I, I thought this was a good idea. I'd never turn up chance of some company, so we hootled off to the, uh, the student room, put the telly on, turned the lights down, and uh, watched the film. Uh, the film was the original version of Carrie, starring Sissy Spacek. <laughs> uh, neither of us had seen it before. Neither of us knew what to expect. So there we were watching the film, and we thought it'd come to the end, and we said, that was a good call, that was a good film, and watching it in a sort of spooky environment was quite, uh, well, it added to the, uh, the experience. And then, of course, the... Uh, blood-covered hand and forearm shot out from uh, the grave and we both jumped in the air, bashed our heads on the ceiling and came down very, very shocked and frightened. All of a sudden, the, uh, the gloomy, isolated college was not somewhere we really wanted to be after all. So Taff ran back to the porter's lodge and locked himself in. I ran home as quickly as possible and locked myself in. And uh, we had a good laugh about it afterwards. And the second time, I have a really good memory, is uh, towards the end of my stay in Cambridge, Taff was uh, drinking at the, uh, the university staff social club. Now, I wasn't a member of the staff, I was a student, but uh, because I was a friend of Taff, I was allowed to go to the club, as was another bloke, another college loaner called Stefan, who was from the Channel Islands. And we were welcomed as mates of Taff, and it was no problem. They decided at the social club to have a their own version of mastermind. Uh, no specialist subjects, just general knowledge, but there would be a, a chair in a spotlight and four people every round and so on and so forth. And Taff said he was going to have a go at that. And why didn't Stefan and I also have a go? I thought, well, I was travelling reserve for university challenge. I might know more than some of these staff members. I might even get to win the money, and that might be considered inappropriate. Hubris, hubris. I didn't even make the final. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's digressing, really. It's Taft's story. Uh, he, he was in the last of the first round matches, and uh, there was, uh, just to add interest, there'd been a bookmaker appointed who was uh, going to offer odds on all the contests and theoretically going to make a bit of tax-free income on the side. And he offered odds of 20 to 1 against Taft to win. Now, Taft knew he wasn't an educated man, but uh, he looked at odds of 20 to 1 in a four-horse race and decided that uh, he was being insulted. The book he was making him out to be as thick as shit, basically. So Taff got very angry, and he strode over to the bookmaker's table and banged down his pound coin. Taff's wife, Dee, went over to the table. She banged down her pound coin. Stefan went over to the table. He banged down his pound coin. Then I went over the table and I banged down a 50p piece. 
hey, big spender, as Shirley Bassey would have said. Anyway, uh, Taft was drawn to go last, and the target he needed to win was 13 correct answers. Now, 13 was a reasonable score to chase for someone who knew a bit of general knowledge, but uh, the mood in the room was that this is well beyond Taft's capability. And uh, you could see that he thought so too. As he sat in the chair, that wasn't his normal cheery grin, you could see, but uh, a rictus of terror, and his forehead was glistening with sweat. He was clearly very unhappy that he now had to put his mouth where his money was. Uh, I must admit, I felt a bit worried for him. I couldn't see him getting more than eight or nine answers, and they would be humble pie to be eaten. If things went really badly, he could be utterly humiliated. So then the, the quiz, quiz master opened with the first question, and the utter humiliation didn't begin. The first two questions were easy for Taff, and he got them right, and slowly the grin came back, and the forehead dried up. And as the, uh, the questioning went on, he kept getting answers right. And the room began to uh, get a bit tense. He couldn't actually win, could he? And then uh, the, uh, the buzzer went, and the quiz master went through the I've started, so I'll finish routine. And at that point, Taff had 12 correct answers. So he just needed to get the last question right to win. And he got it right, and the whole room exploded into cheers and applause, because he was, uh, everyone loves an underdog, and he was genuinely very popular. Not so popular with a bookmaker who just lost 70 pounds. <laughs> 20 pounds to everyone else, and just 10 to me. Taff looked at my 10 and said, oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> he got knocked out in the next round, but that didn't matter. He had his down the sun, and it was absolutely fucking brilliant. Story ends a little sadly in that I, I, I departed from Cambridge under something of a cloud, didn't leave a, a forwarding address. So when he died suddenly and at a relatively early age, I didn't know, and so I missed the funeral. But uh, I tried to make up for that in years after that by visiting Cambridge regularly and treating his widow Dee to a a slap-up lunch, and we would reminisce about Taff and old times. So, uh, um, to, uh, to explain why he was my hero, he sort of gave me, uh, I'm breaking up now, uh, more unconditional friendship than I got from any of the, my fellow students, and he gave me more effective pastoral care than all those academics with their piss-ups in their breweries. Without him, I wouldn't have got as far as a degree. I certainly wouldn't have been able to do a PhD. I don't know what have happened to me. So, uh, he's gone 30 years. <laughs> Thanks, I, I still miss him. So. Blackcurrant, <laughs> and this is actually cold tea because I don't drink anymore.
True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.